From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While spring sports have fully sprung in Gainesville, men's basketball made a strong claim to hold on to the spotlight Wednesday night. Mike White's team knocked off 13th-ranked LSU on the road in overtime, securing a badly-needed signature win for their tournament resume. On today's show, we'll talk about that massive victory, opening weekend for baseball, a historic win for gymnastics, and more with FloridaGators.com's senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. Plus, senior guard Jalen Hudson stops by to discuss his evolving role this season and the most memorable moments from his Gator career. But first, basketball sent a shockwave through the SEC with their upset of LSU, significantly altering their postseason resume in the process. So as we opened up our roundtable, we asked Chris how the Gators pulled it off. At shoot around uh, Wednesday, you just kind of see, and 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 I, I think you got to go back even even before that, going back to last weekend. I, I know you want to talk about LSU, but I mean, we really haven't had a chance to talk about what happened at Alabama last weekend. The vibe uh, within the team, Adam, is just a lot better. It's a lot more. I don't want to say I don't say casual, but the the chemistry on this team is a lot better. And I don't know if that has something to do with roles kind of being defined more, um, players uh, taking more ownership behind the scenes, some, uh, uh, the coach kind of laying down some, some things over the last few weeks, but there's an element of confidence now with this team having won at Alabama the way it did. And then going into LSU and staring down a really, really good basketball team in a game that if you look at, you know, just straight matchups on paper, they, they really had no business winning the game. Uh, LSU has a bunch of, of, of wild animals on the glass. Uh, Mike Fratello once called them live athletic bodies. They just got a ton of them. I mean, Nas Reed, good grief. I mean, the way that guy moves, he looks like a 10-year NBA veteran at 6'10", 250 pounds, and he's 19 years old. Jordan Mincy showed these guys these clips and said, guys, when the ball goes up in the air, that's when the game starts. Okay? And they made them painfully aware that if they didn't do their job when it came to uh, bumping guys when shots are in the air, boxing out and doing stuff like that. They, they weren't going to be in the game. Now, granted, LSU had 18 offensive rebounds. They had a bunch of frustrating offensive rebounds at one point. But uh, I, Mike White said it afterwards, uh, credit them for moving on to the next play. And nobody uh, exhibited that more than Kayvon Allen did. Um, obviously, he's had some criticism in his time for his passivity and what have you. Uh, he took three shots, four shots, I think, in the first half. Uh, missed them all, had no points. You know, in, in the past, that's been a, a signal for him to shut it down a little bit. My God, he had 21 after halftime. He had 12 in the overtime period. He was fantastic. He uh, he took a shot that, I mean, people, I'm sure Gator fans were going, Mike White said it was one of those no, 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 great shot, Kayvon. In the overtime, when the smart play would have been to run clock because you're up by three and you get an offensive rebound uh, inside a minute. But he just said he felt confident. I talked to him afterwards. He said, well, I got yelled at for not taking that shot before. So he didn't want to get yelled at again. So uh, to go on the road, to beat a ranked team, um, this is a team that, that need 
like you called it a signature win, and certainly it was. And, I, and in a way, I think the Alabama game was as well. But to put two games like this back-to-back together on the road, now you're coming home with some confidence. It's a delicate time for this team right now because while, like I said, it seems to be a real positive vibe going on, um, there's nothing that can be taken for granted over the next couple weeks. Um, they played themselves back into contention for some stuff that's obviously will be very important in a, in a few weeks. But there's a lot of work still to be done. And, uh, you know, you, you have to hold serve at home in, in, in the stretch if you're trying to make the NSA tournament. There's nothing that can be taken for granted. And, and now's the time where the leaders have to step up. The best players have to play their best. And you have to defend your home court and get up for games, even though you're looking, you're staring down three straight games against teams that are at the bottom of the conference standings. And while that might look favorable, it's like I said, it's very, very dangerous. So much of the focus this year has been on the freshmen, and, and rightly so. But as we come down the stretch here, it does seem like the seniors are starting to take their game to the next level. Obviously, we saw what Kayvon Allen did. But how about Jalen Hudson had the, the biggest game of the season for him? And we talked to him coming up later in this show. And clearly, they know that the time is now if they're going to make the tournament and end their careers the way that they want to. Well, he's got double-figure scoring, four straight games. I think he's got 45 points the last four games. Uh and that hadn't happened all season. Obviously, he's had a very, very difficult fifth-year, senior year. You know, I, I don't go anywhere during the during the season without my computer bag. And in my computer bag is the media guide that you have, Scott has, that you know that sets up the nineteen nine or excuse me, the two thousand eighteen nineteen season. And on the front is Kalon Allen and Kavaris Hayes and Jalen Hudson. They're the cover boys at LSU. Was the first time this season all three of those guys scored in double figures. And, uh, you know, when you look at going in the season, you're thinking Jalen Hudson is a first team preseason all SEC player. It didn't work out that way. But as you know, I referenced it earlier about roles being defined and guys like fitting into places and, and feeling what they're supposed to do to help this team win. Jalen Hudson has done that. Now, he, I think at one point he scored nine straight points at a time in the first half when, you know, LSU's, you know, trying to get their crowd into the game. And it was a very hostile crowd and what have you. Um and in, in the sec, he's playing out of position. Uh, he's, he's had to play some four. But I tell you what, his, comp- his, his stroke does, does look a little more confident than it has of late. Um, he was very happy after the game. You know, he, he wasn't the star of the game, but 15 points off the bench were certainly uh, uh, significant. And, you know, he's doing a much better job defensively. And just goes back to what I said about embracing roles. You know, he, this, this is what his role is. He's, he's not – Keontae Johnson is now starting at, at the position that people would have thought Jalen Hudson would have, that Igor, Igor Kolachev spot. Um, you can say Noah Locke is starting at the position that maybe Jalen Hudson was. Uh, so he's accepted his role, and uh, the Gators are better for it, obviously. Chris, you mentioned the games that are coming up next. Obviously, the schedule sets up really well the next three games especially. So what are the keys for Florida to maintain this momentum and move safely inside of that bubble? As a newspaper writer, Scott will understand this. We'd be writing about, well, they got to win these three games. They have to these the next three games. The, stuff, the kind of stuff I just talked about. But being behind the scenes, a behind-the-scenes kind of writer like I am now, uh, you got to win the next game. And that means beating Missouri Saturday at home, which is a game they're expected to win, obviously. And they'll have a lot of momentum going in that. They don't have a four-game winning streak this year. They, I, I don't think they do. I have to look at the thing. But they haven't had a meaningful four-game winning streak. They have a chance to, to have that, if they can hold serve against Missouri at home. If you want me to put my, uh, my hack hat on, you know, you're, you're looking at – I said going in that game, they went, if they held serve at home, okay, 
and one at Vanderbilt. That's 18 wins with a very hard schedule. You got a you got a winning league record. Um, I think it may be hard to to leave them out of the NCAA tournament. Well, now you've stolen one on the road. You can't uh, now give one back at home. And, and there's just Vanderbilt matzo ball that's hanging like kind of next Wednesday night in Nashville. The Gators have won one game there, I believe, since the 2011 season, and that was with a team that won 30 in a row and went unbeaten in 21 SEC games. I don't care what Vanderbilt's record says. A couple weeks ago, uh, or last week rather, they came to the O-Dome and they put up a fight and they have some really good players, and that's going to be a very difficult game for Florida regardless of what Vanderbilt's record is. So this is a team that because of its youth, because of its weaknesses, if you will, uh, uh, the imbalance at the front court, they have to beat Missouri. You beat Missouri, all of a sudden you're 16 and 11. Now you're going to Vanderbilt. You're, you're 16 and 11. You're two games over 500 in the SEC. And you've kind of worked yourself into a fairly good position, um, especially relative to where this team was when we were talking, you know, just, you know, I don't know, last week, week before that on these podcasts. So I would think it's going to be a, a, the atmosphere. People are going to be much more excited uh, when the Gators go into the O-Dome to play at four o'clock. And again, Missouri is a team that I think only won three conference games. Doesn't matter. Uh, they certainly have players capable to come in and get hot. And if Florida wants to lollygag, and be lazy and start thinking that they've got everything figured out, all that will do will will bring about disaster for this team. So I don't think the coaches are going to let that happen, but it's up to the players not to let it happen as well. When you win as much as the Gators do historically, there's always a lot of anniversaries you can celebrate. And on the basketball side, this weekend, the 1994 Final Four team is being honored. And really the, the ones that, that started it all on the basketball side and, and set that standard under Lon Kruger for what this program could be. And now we see where it is today and where Billy Donovan took it, where Mike White has it now. So talk about that 1994 team and, and what they meant to this program. Yeah, I actually covered that team. I was the writer at the Tampa Tribune. And uh, again, silver anniversary for those particular guys. There's a, a bunch of them were coming back. Um, Craig Brown, Dan Cross, Andrew DeClerc, Dimitri Hill, uh, Brian Thompson. That's the starting five right there. They will all be here. Fans that uh, uh, of that team, uh, fans of the Gators, even if you weren't alive and, and understand the significance uh, of what that team did, uh, a team that was unranked to start the season and I want to say picked to finish somewhere in the middle of the pack uh, of the Southeastern Conference here, ended up winning 29 games, won the, won the East, and had a shot to beat Duke in the national uh, uh, semifinals. I'll have a couple stories about that team up on FloridaGators.com. People that did follow that team can reintroduce themselves and kind of reflect back on that incredible season. Uh, there were some really, really good games, some huge games along the way. And uh, they're going to have a reception for those guys Friday night and halftime. They're going to be introduced uh, at the O-Dome. So uh, I'm anticipating a very uh, rousing, uh, rousing ovation for those guys. And certainly they'll deserve it. It's hard to believe it's been 25 years. But, you know, every time some kind of milestone comes up, I always say it's hard to believe. But that's part of getting old, I guess. Let's turn our attention to baseball. We talked to Kevin O'Sullivan last week on the show. Uh, they're officially underway. They swept Long Beach State last weekend. And then back-to-back losses midweek to USF and UNF, obviously both teams from the state of Florida who always come at the Gators hard in those midweek games. So, Scott, we know that there's a lot of freshmen in the mix. It's a very, very young team. Overall, what observations have you made through the first batch of games? Yeah, I mean, this is Kevin O'Sullivan's youngest team in his, you know, 12th season here. It's going to have uh, some, you know, nice performances like it did in the uh, sweep of Long Beach State. The two uh, – Young starters, Tommy Mace on Saturday, 
And then uh, Jack Leftwich on Sunday pitched really well. Freshman closer Nolan Chris, we saw him twice. He comes out and gets two saves right away in his first two appearances. Really, if you look at the opening series, Adam, I think the big question mark would probably be Tyler Dyson, the Friday night starter. Wasn't as sharp as he needs to be. He walked four guys. He, uh, he threw, what, 36 balls on 72 pitches, so only half of his pitches were strikes. Didn't hang around long enough to even get a decision. The Gators did win. So there, there's, there's going to be some inconsistencies because, we, you know, we talked about they open up against Long Beach State, sweep at home, but then they go down to Tampa and lose to USF. They come home and lose to North Florida. And, you know, a North Florida game was a perfect example of testing out a lot of the young pitchers. He used four freshman pitchers in the game. And it really, they did pretty well other than they gave up three home runs at inopportune times. Uh, but for the most part, they limited the damage. Uh, but the lineup has not been hitting. I mean, Austin Langworthy, uh, I think he's two for 20 in the leadoff spot through the first five games. They're going to need him to come around. And is a lineup that at one point the other night had a five true freshmen and two sophomores on the field. And uh, But the funniest thing I saw after the loss, some guy tweeted me saying they really need to get together. <laughs> it's like, all right, let's not, let's not go overboard here. It's the fifth game of the season, 15 newcomers, 11 made their college debut in the last four or five days. O'Sullivan said it best himself. I mean, he, he, he knows that there are going to be some growing pains. He's still trying to figure these guys out, what they do well, how they fit how they react in certain situations. But it's just it's the nature of the sport. As you guys know, you can't make too much on any really one week or even five or six games. You know, we'll talk about this more as the season evolves. You know, come May, uh, if they're still scrapping around like this, this is probably who they are. But right now, they have a lot of room for improvement because everything's so new to these young guys. And, and just from looking at it, what I've seen, the pitching talents there, and if if we've seen anything with Kevin O'Sullivan and his staff, they develop pitchers. So I, I expect that fully to be solid, an area of strength by the end of the season. I think the lineup is more uh, some more question marks because you know your Will Dalton's really the big bat in there, but he doesn't have guys like Jonathan Indy and JJ Schwartz around him this year. So it's going to be curious to see if any of these young players really can produce behind him and and make teams pitch to him because uh, if they don't produce behind him, well, you know, no one's really going to give uh, Dalton much to hit. So I, I think that's one thing I'll be watching long-term to see how that, that impacts the season. We also saw on social media that uh, A-Rod was at the MAC this weekend, which was uh, confusing. He was posting stuff on social media where he's climbing up walls, playing ball with some kids. And, and I think the general question was, well, what is he doing there? So, uh, Scott, as a former hard newsman, uh, have you figured out why A-Rod was in Gainesville this weekend? Yeah, you know, I put on my old reporter's hat and digging around. And what I, what I learned was, Adam, that A-Rod was in town to do a some kind of interview on camera with former Gator swimmer Ryan Lockie. It's for some kind of reality show or, or something with athletes, uh, you know, who are have had been in the spotlight for different reasons. So it's just something that I didn't know. I, I'm figuring maybe you knew that beforehand, but I, that's not my world where I follow that stuff, Adam. But you know what? It was funny to see. I mean, you certainly didn't expect to see an Instagram account of A-Rides to pop up from McKeithen Stadium. First climbing the fence out in the center field, making a, a joke about trying to get in. And then, you know, his video that he posted, you know, playing with some kids and the 
right there at Matthew Keith and Stadium during the game. And really, there was not much about it on social. He he obviously stayed in a very little area because you know there wasn't like pictures popping up all over Twitter of a rod at the game. So it was one of those. Uh, one of those weird moments in our, our world today where a guy like A-Rod can still sneak into the stadium and not get noticed much until he uh, makes himself, he outs himself, I guess. You know, it would have made more sense if A-Rod was in town this coming weekend because Florida's playing Miami. And, of course, A-Rod's name is on their field down there in Coral Gables. So the latest installment of this rivalry, a three-game series, but a little bit different because for the first time and I guess forever, Jim Morris is not in the dugout for the Hurricanes. No more Jim Morris. The longtime Hurricanes coach is gone. The Canes have a, a new coach, a new program. This is a, a program that under Morris at the end really struggled. They had that, uh, gosh, I want to say about a 40-year streak of making the NCAA tournament that ended a couple of years ago, which you just don't expect that from Miami. And, you know, Florida has dominated this rivalry under Kevin O'Sullivan. They've won, I, I think, about 85% of the matchups. <laughs> it's very, become very one-sided. Uh, but anytime Miami and Florida get together, it's still one of the best college baseball rivalries in the country. I think Miami, from what I've read and all indications are, they are expected to be improved this year. And it's really a, even a, a more important audition, I guess, for a lot of the young players that we talked about earlier, uh, because this is going to be a whole new environment for them. They had a couple of nice crowds a little bit against Long Beach State, but Miami should be packed this weekend with all the stuff that's going on on campus, uh, a big rivalry uh, with the Canes, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how those guys uh, respond to in those circumstances. But for the Gators, it'll just uh, you know a good challenge for them to see uh, if they can get it going again after losing two in a row uh, midweek. And, you know, if you can win that series against Miami, suddenly, you know, you have some momentum again, and the baseball storyline changes, you know, every, every couple of days. So uh, it is important, though, to see how they respond and if they can come out victorious i got to believe that Kevin Sullivan will be glad to, uh, to kind of keep that grip on that rivalry right now. Every time we talk about gymnastics on the show, it seems we're highlighting something incredible they've done and some history-making win, and they had another one of those last weekend at Alabama. Remarkably, Scott, 40 years since the last time they won in Tuscaloosa, just the, the latest feather in their cap on what's been a tremendous season. Yeah, like I tweeted the other day, the, the curse of the bear is broken, man. I mean, they had one there since 1979 when the when the Bears still roamed the sidelines in Tuscaloosa. So, big early season win in the conference. You know what? The Gators have a chance to secure a regular season tie for the conference uh, championship this weekend uh, if they can uh, win Friday. And then uh, it's going to be on the SEC Network. I know that they're bringing some trophies and stuff just in case that happens for a, a show and uh a good season for Jenny Rowland and her team so far. Very talented young team. Uh, you know, we've talked about Trandy Thomas on here. She's been knocking at the door with some nine nine seven fives. I mean, wouldn't surprise me if she gets that first collegiate ten very soon. Uh, Elisa Baldwin's coming on, and and I, I mean, it's been a while. You know, in the last what they haven't won the national title, I guess since fifteen. So we're going what four years ago. Uh, this might be their most complete team since, you know, the Bridget Sloan and Keetra Hunter days. And, you know, I don't know. It's going to be tough because uh, Oklahoma is really good still with Maggie Nichols. But, you know, this team, it seems like they've been getting better and better as the season goes on and, and staying away from some of those injuries. So uh, I believe that they're going to be right back in the mix at the – I don't think they're calling it the Super Six this year, but they're going to be right in the mix at the end. 
Let's move on to our P18 now. I'm not sure if you guys had a chance to see this with the various events you were covering on Wednesday night, but Georgia lost to Mississippi State because a fan threw a stuffed animal on the court in the middle of a decisive free throw for Mississippi State in a tie game with half a second on the clock. And as a result, a technical foul was assessed to Georgia because they were the home team. And then the technical free throw was made by Mississippi State. They win the game by one. And I'm sure that fan is very unpopular in Athens if people know who it was. So the question I want to ask you guys is kind of twofold. First of all, do you think that this rule makes sense? Because if you think about it, an opposing fan could throw something on the court on the road and have that count against the home team. And that would be a pretty diabolical thing you could do if you're trying to hurt the team that's uh, that's hosting the game. So that's the first part. The second part is... What's the dumbest, craziest way you've ever seen a team lose a game? Because for me, uh, what I just saw from Georgia has got to be up there on that list. Well, um, obviously the, the one that just cries to be mentioned is the 1989, I believe the year was, and uh, Dwayne Shensis was at the free throw line at Vanderbilt. And he had been reprimanded, suspended, something that happened earlier in the season for him chasing some guy down like University Avenue or somewhere on behind 13th Street with a tennis racket. I don't remember the circumstance because I didn't cover the team at the time, but lo and behold, they go to Vanderbilt and, and they're losing the game and Shinsis gets fouled at the end of the game and just hundreds of tennis balls come flying down onto the court when Shinsis is stepping in the line. Now, I was I covered Shinsis in high school. I once saw him go 12 for 12 from the free throw line. And this is a guy who's 7-2. And damn if he didn't go to line and make those free throws, plus the technicals, and Florida won the basketball game and ends up winning the SEC that year. That was late in the season. I, and CM Newton, I remember he just stopped taking calls uh, late in life about people trying to rehash the old tennis ball game at Vanderbilt. But uh, uh, very similar circumstances. I don't know how you police it like you're talking about. Um, if it's a fan that's thrown on there, you'd have to be a pretty – a shrewd and conniving fan to, to have that all ready to go and, and have your, I guess the, uh, the opposing Mississippi state fan, I guess he would think it was a stuffed bulldog. So hell, it may have been a Mississippi state fan right. for all we know. That's the one that jumps out of my mind. Obviously has some, that has some gator angle to it. <laughs> I also remember Gus Ferrat scored a touchdown, ran in a touchdown on a Monday night football game and headbutted a wall and sprained his neck doing it and had to leave the game. Redskins didn't lose that game that night. But they tied it 7-7 seven to seven in a remarkable shootout and ended up, I think, losing the division by a half game. So uh, that, that one kind of stands out in my mind, too. But relative to basketball, the story, it, there's fun, it's funny, there's no video of that, of those tennis balls coming down that I can, I've tried to look for it or what have you. But to see Shinsis, who, of course, looked like Frankenstein. I mean, he was just enormous guy, biggest guy, one of the biggest guys you've ever seen in your life, at the free throw line with these tennis balls raining down on him. It was something out of a... a out of some kind of crazy movie or something like that. Adam, one that sticks out from when I was a kid, I'll never forget the uh, the snowplow game up in the, it was between the Dolphins and the Patriots. I think it was about 1981 or 82. Scoreless game in a snowstorm at Foxborough, and the Patriots have the ball in field goal position late in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you see a snowplow operator come out and just clear off a nice little uh, path for uh, the, the holder and the, to hold place the ball and the kicker to run up to and uh guess what it worked john smith made the kick and needless to say i mean if you've watched nfl films or I, there may even be a 30 for 30 on it if there is i haven't seen it but that's one of the most famous uh wacky finishes certainly in nfl history baseball is a little different i mean you got jeffrey meyer remember him the or uh, right. orioles Yankees in 97 
playoffs. Of course, you got Stephen Bartman uh, with the Cubs. And personally, the weirdest finish I've seen in person, man. I, gosh, I just don't have anything right off the top of my head, man. The Dolphins game that you referenced, final score, 3 nothing. The snowplow operator, I believe it just got gotten out on parole. That was a huge story in 1981 or 82. So you can only imagine how long Stephen A. Smith would talk about it in today's world. Probably give him like two weeks of conversation on his show. Uh, but, yeah, it was just, uh, uh, like I said, it's one of the most memorable moments in really NFL history just because of the absurdity of it. Yeah, but if it, it's like Ron Meyer was the coach in New England. He's like running on the sidelines telling the guy, get out there. And, and the guy did the plow around the John Smith, I believe, was left-footed, and he said, no, go back. He made him go back and do a spot on the left side, like, <laughs> like clear out like a specific spot for him and stuff. So, yeah, it was great. Well, I'm not sure if either one of those top Georgia, but uh, they're probably close. They're certainly close. In any case, it's a big weekend in Gator sports, so make sure to stay on top of everything by following Scott and Chris at Gators Scott at Gators Chris. They will also be posting their content to FloridaGators.com, covering all of the orange and blue action. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thanks, Adam. See you, Adam. While it hasn't been smooth sailing all the way, Jalen Hudson is determined to finish his senior season the right way. And while Allen Iverson may not think it's important, Mike White has credited a major improvement in practice as a big reason for the late surge, led by Hudson. We spoke to Jalen just before the trip to Baton Rouge and began by asking him how they've taken practice to the next level. I really feel like the energy was there. Um, I, I really feel like we were kind of in a place of a lot of uncertainty. And I felt like we either had to make a change or things were going to, or things were going to stay the same. And I think that has, has been proven um, to be factual as of late. Uh, I think that was kind of a turning point for part of the season right there. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly why it happened, but it was just, we were all kind of in a place where we were like, we, we got to make a change. Something that we're doing is not right. And we can control what we do today. So let's just make sure today that we bring the energy, we have fun with it today and see if this will carry over. I know part of that too is probably the players only meeting that happened. Um, how did that come together and what kind of things were said in that room? See, the thing about the players only meeting is, is some of the information that, that is shared and that is talked about throughout the meeting. It kind of stays in the player only meeting. So it, it's kind of difficult for me for these, to say some of those things. But basically, it was just that some changes had to be made and we had to it had to be amongst ourselves to make these changes. And that was kind of our, our reasoning just to kind of for, for new things to happen. And that's kind of the kind of the spark um, that we left with, with the meeting that we, we want things to change. We want things to be different. And so. That's why we came together, and then that's that's how it kind of led to to where we are now. We often see a, a team get a boost after there's a meeting like that, players taking things upon themselves. From your experience, why are those so impactful? You really find out that, that we're all in together, that, that is very important. I feel like it's, it's important that people can share their, their opinions, their minds, um, without the coaching staff in there, because maybe they'll say things that they normally wouldn't say with, with the coaching staff in there, not because they're trying to be – be secretive or anything like that it's just a little bit more open so uh, i feel like those are important and i feel like that can kind of provide a, a spark because you really get a chance to, to find out what people are thinking and how people are feeling i want to take things back to to last year for you after the season you had a really tough choice to make about going pro or staying in school what was that process like for you and, and what were the biggest factors that led to your decision definitely a fun process um i got a chance to work out for four teams um I didn't get a chance to work out for all the teams that I wanted to and all the teams that 
I got invited to because I was in summer A. I had to take these classes here. And so uh, I got a chance to work out for four, and it, it was a very rewarding experience. All the teams based that I worked out for basically telling me that I can play at this level and that I, I can I can potentially still get drafted. So when you decided to come back, how tough was it to get back in the mindset of being a college basketball player when you had had those meetings and you were so close to, to leaving that behind? Did you have to flip a switch of some kind there? Yeah, it was pretty tough um, getting back into the to the college basketball mindset. Um, for a while there, I felt like a professional training um, in another city and going to these NBA workouts, flying to different cities and uh, going from place to place. So it, it definitely took some time to get back into this college basketball player mindset. But I, I felt like after a while, especially during the summer, I was able to to lock back in and, and get back with it. I know it's been an up and down year for the team and, and also for you personally. I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times, but how have you been able to fight through these struggles and have you been able to pinpoint why they've happened? Yeah, it's just anything I've ever been through. I've never just been the one to kind of turn the cheek or anything like that. So um, just always just been a fighter, just just trying to make it through um, as best as I can. I'm, I've been working um, all through all, all the way through the season, just trying to fight it. Obviously, when the opportunity presents itself, um, I feel like I, I have played well. But yeah, it's, it's been rough. It's been, it's been definitely up and down for myself and for the season or for the team as well. And um, I'm just trying to uh, play as best as I can and finish as strong as I can uh, for now. Confidence is really important in this game. And I'm sure it's easy to get shaken when things aren't going your way. Who's helped you keep your confidence up throughout the year? Are there individuals inside or outside the team that it really helped you in that regard? Definitely my family. They really helped me just kind of telling me that I'm here for a reason and that I've, I've worked my, basically my whole life for this. So um, definitely my family has helped me push through um, the ups and downs throughout the season. So much of this year has been about the freshmen and the future of the program. What role do you feel like you and, and your fellow upperclassmen have played in bringing them along and kind of passing that torch? Um, just trying to bring them experience, uh, a little bit of knowledge. Obviously, they're, they're really good freshmen and uh, they played well thus far. We're just trying to help them any way that they can and, and make them mature even faster than they normally would. And that's, that's, that's pretty much what we've been doing as, as, as seniors and as leaders, just trying to help them and, and, and bring them along. Being in the position you're in, everything that you've been through throughout your career, transferring, playing at two different schools, going through coaching changes, what's the best piece of advice that you can give these freshmen to help them through their careers? Just to kind of trust the process, um, stay true to the process, and that nothing comes before your work. And that it, there'll be a lot of ups and downs and you, you got to be grounded. Um, you can't be so high or so low that, that once those those ups and downs comes that you're completely kind of knocked off of, of the path that you're on. So just to be ready for adversity and just to kind of take the adversity head on. We did a whole story this week for the TV show about the switch to Jordan brand this year. Why is that such a big deal to players? And, and what does that mean to you guys? Uh, well, Michael Jordan, I, I think is the best to ever play the game. So just to be sponsored by him and to represent him night in and night out, I feel like it's, a, it's an honor. And obviously they have some of the best gear for basketball. So I think it'll really help with recruiting. And also I think it'll help with the players too. You know, they always say, uh, look good, play good. So <laughs> you never know. Do you have a favorite jersey and shoe combo that you guys have, have worn this year? D does everyone have their favorites? Uh, I'm not sure that we do. I really like the orange though. I feel like the orange is, is bright and it and we, we really have a lot of energy in those for whatever reason. Hmm. So 
I will say the the orange. I don't really have a favorite shoe. That's this that's far, but maybe once we get some of these retros, I will. <laughs> As you come toward the the end of your Gator career here, what games or moments do you remember the most? Just the NCAA uh, tournament experience that I was a part of last year with those guys um, playing um, and just kind of coming together and really finishing that whole season pretty strong. Uh, obviously, we had a lot of ups and downs that season as well, but just coming together as a team, as a family and being able to play against other people and, and obviously win and just come even closer. I feel like that was that was some of the best times of my, of my, my career. You also had the chance to play a lot of games at home in front of the Rowdies. Uh, I'm curious, what are some of the funniest things you've seen or heard the Rowdies do to uh, intimidate an opponent during your time at Florida? Actually, recently when we played Ole Miss, they had some text messages from one of their players <laughs> uh, going, going back and forth uh, between one of the Rowdies. So uh, I thought that was pretty funny. I didn't hear about it till after the game, but I thought that was pretty funny how they, they would go that far to try to kind of try to intimidate or, or, or do some things that might disrupt the play of, of another player or another team. So I thought that was that was kind of cool. And I thought that was kind of something that that was very interesting that the Rowdies would do. Hmm. What's your favorite SEC city to go to for a road game? You have like a, a best road trip that, that you remember going on? I do like Alabama, uh, undefeated on Alabama on the road. So <laughs> that's a really good one. Is that also your favorite arena to play in other than the O-Dome? Would that count as your favorite arena or is there somewhere else you really enjoyed playing? I like Kentucky too. Kentucky's pretty nice too. A lot of hype at Rupp. Yeah, for sure. Big wins at Rupp too. Big wins are up. That's right. A lot of your former teammates are now playing professionally overseas in the D-League. Which guys are you in contact with and what do they tell you about their experiences at the next level? Yeah, I've kind of been talking to all those guys um, that have been here uh, while I was here. Uh, Igor, Chiefs, uh, Devin Robinson, Dorian Finney-Smith, all those guys really. They're just kind of telling me that it, it's similar to college in, a, in an aspect of the game. It's not too much different and that I can play at that level. Um the only thing is that it's not sometimes it's it's not as family oriented as college because people have their own families and people kind of do their own things outside of basketball. They always kind of say that's definitely something. There's definitely good things that you get out of, uh, of playing professionally and that um, they still would, would rather be doing that than anything else. This past weekend was the All-Star Game and, of course, the dunk contest. Uh, if you were in the dunk contest, what would you do? What props would you bring? I'm sure every guy has thought about this at least once, right? Uh, I actually haven't thought about it. I, I, I would definitely have to pull some tricks out of my bag. I felt like this dunk contest maybe wasn't the, the best one ever. So I feel like there was definitely definitely room for growth. But I thought those guys definitely competed. I thought they, they definitely gave it their best. But I haven't really thought about what I would do, honestly. Um, maybe a couple windmills, maybe throw it through the legs a couple times, uh, maybe a 360. Um, it, just, it would just kind of have to see, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm not sure what I would do exactly in that moment. But it, it would be interesting to just be there and to be part of that. It seems that everyone wants to bring out a person to jump over. That's the new thing. I mean, someone jumped over Shaq. Do you at least have an idea of which guy you'd want to jump over? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Maybe if Yao Ming was there, I'd try to jump over <laughs> that would That would take it to the next level. I don't think anyone's jumped. Uh, no one's jumped seven feet and five inches, I think, over someone before. Yeah, that'd be um, the first one. When, th when that happens, we're going to tell people to come back and listen to this podcast where that idea came from. <laughs> don't don't forget about us when you ride all the way up okay right. when we talked last year you told us about your your relationship with lebron who went to your high school uh but you said you didn't have his number since last <laughs> year have you gotten lebron's number or are we still working on that no i haven't got his number um 
it's not something that I'm like I'm super pressed about either. <laughs> um, I'm still kind of connected with him um, with a couple of people that are in my circle also in his circle as well. But um, just hopefully getting a chance to meet him uh, again this summer and just kind of uh, pick his brain a little bit and just know I just know that he has so much so much knowledge about the game and about life as well as a successful basketball player and and businessman if you will so um just hopefully get a chance to pick his brain this summer and maybe even work out with him too final question for you obviously the the big overall goal for the team right now is making the NCAA tournament and trying to get some momentum going how much is that being talked about internally and how can how can this team make that final push to get there yeah we talk about it a lot we just kind of have to we have, we have to get some some really big wins here we got to get some momentum and we we just have to come together even closer you know the, the the time for us to make it and the games that we have to win are continue to get smaller and smaller so we just every day is important so got to uh, string together some of these wins and hopefully they'll be enough to get us in the tournament well Jalen thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it and good luck the rest of the season thank you Adam and that's going to do it for this week's show if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. It's a huge weekend on campus, with basketball, baseball, and softball all holding court, so make sure to head to FloridaGators.com for all your ticket and broadcast info. Then come back next week as we break it all down. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the Ville.